We are right in the middle of a sermon series through the book of Ephesians. And we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Ephesians. And today we begin in verse 14, in chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, as the video was talking there about prayer, prayer is so vitally important. And like many pastors that I've heard say this in the past, if there was anything I could do different in the last 27 years of ministry, I would have prayed more. And today I want to make a commitment to the Lord that I'm going to pray more. And I hope by the end of this sermon today you'll be convinced that it would do you well to pray more. And as we uh, read through the scripture today, we'll learn better how to pray. We'll learn better how to pray. So today we're going to be looking at God's purpose of prayer. God's purpose of prayer. But before we dig in, let me just say this. I love Debbie Sontag. Do y'all love Debbie Sontag? I mean, I love Debbie. And yesterday, my love for her grew like this big. I came over yesterday morning, and there was just a slew of people. It was just like bumblebees working around here. Folks was cleaning. Greg was stuffing bulletins and... And, and Debbie and uh, Kathy was, was preparing for Faith Factory. And, and I was in here and I poked my head in the door. And, and Debbie said, Pastor Steve, need you to go long tomorrow. Need you to go long tomorrow. And I said, a woman after my own heart. I'm telling you what, Pastor Steve, go long tomorrow. Don't you love Debbie Sontag? Fewer people are loving on her right now because of her words. So don't you dare chastise her. Now, she is, I'm telling you, she is so bubbling over with Faith Factory right now. She can't stand herself. She is so excited about Faith Factory. And we're, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for that. So, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, is yet another prayer here in the book of Ephesians. And it's a prayer that Paul is actually praying to the Father in heaven uh, in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Roughly half of the book of Ephesians is actually prayers, prayer requests, and praise reports. Just like we do here. We take up prayer requests and we give praise reports and we pray. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing in the verses that we'll be looking at today and next Sunday as well. We're going to take our time looking through this prayer, so we'll start today and finish up next week. So these prayers and these prayer requests and these praise reports, they're they're woven through this entire letter. And the point is this. There is no such thing as a New Testament Christian church apart from a congregation of praying Christians. You get that? There is no such thing as a New Testament church apart from a group of born-again believers who are actively praying. Prayer is at the top of the list. And sometimes, sadly, it's so overlooked as the importance of what a church does. Prayer. Say prayer. Prayer, more than anything else, is what sustains the progress of the church. Prayer, above everything else, is what sustains the church's health and what sustains the church's growth. 
And as I was studying this week, I couldn't come up with an adequate word. I couldn't come up with a powerful enough word that adequately describes or explains the importance of prayer. So I hope you are a prayer warrior. I hope that you pray a lot. I hope that you pray often. And if you don't, I encourage you to begin doing that, as I'm encouraging myself today to pray more than I've ever prayed before. And in 2021, if it hasn't, uh, if, if, if it hasn't come to your attention, the great need of prayer, I don't know what has to come along to encourage you to be a person of prayer. Can I get an amen right there? We should pray every day. We should pray as a congregation. We should pray as individuals. We should pray as families. We should pray every day. Feel free. This room to my right, to your left in the corner, has been designated as a prayer room. Feel free to come before services and go in there and pray for the day. Feel free to pray in there on Wednesday nights. Feel free to pray in there anytime you want to come and pray in the prayer room. Pray at home. Pray when you're going to work and coming back from work, understanding you don't have to close your eyes to pray. Yeah, don't, don't close your eyes and drive and pray, okay? I mean, God could protect you, but he probably won't. I mean, that's just a life lesson you learn there. But pray. Be people of prayer. Now, today we see how Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And what we're going to use today to comb through this prayer is the acronym P-R-A-Y-E-R, prayer. We're going to use that today. So the first thing we're going to notice today is this. Prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. In chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. What Paul is saying here is, I'm praying. I'm praying. Take notice, church. That's what Paul is saying. Ephesians, take notice. I am a man of prayer. Everything I've been through, I've gone through and survived it because I'm a man of prayer. I've planted the many churches because I'm a man of prayer. I'm writing most of the New Testament because I'm a man of prayer. I'm seeing people saved everywhere I go, left and right, because I'm a man of prayer. He's not boasting. He's encouraging them through his own actions. I'm a man of prayer. You need to be people of prayer as well. And it's a personal thing. He said, for this reason, I, I bow on my knees before the Father. Now, something I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but throughout Scripture up to this point, you really don't see many people bowing to pray, do you? The, the, common, the common thing to do uh, when, when the Jews prayed was they would stand to pray. They would stand to pray. If they weren't standing, sometimes they would lay face down and pray. But rarely in Scripture up to this point do you see people kneeling in prayer. So Paul is kind of introducing this to us. He said, I'm kneeling in prayer. It gives the impression of an act of surrender, doesn't it? You know, you, you've, you, you've watched war movies and such. I love to watch the old movie Sergeant York. Alvin C. York from Fentress County, where I was born and raised. And, and, and military, when they take prisoners, the prisoners do what? The prisoners will kneel down on their knees, won't they? And put their hands behind their head. I surrender. 
Paul is saying, I bow on my knees. I surrender my life to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I surrender my life to God. And in total surrender, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. I'm praying. I'm asking. I'm seeking. I'm following. God, you direct my life. With Paul, it's an act of humility. It's an act of humility. It shows the disposition of his heart in the position of his body. It gets God's attention, I believe. And as we humble ourselves in prayer, we need to know that God is always listening to his children. That's a good place for an amen. That's a point of encouragement. Know this, Christian. Know this, child of God. Every time you pray, God is listening. In every prayer you pray, God answers. Okay? God is always listening. God is always answering every time we pray. I've heard people say, well, I I prayed a prayer and and I prayed it again and I prayed it again and, and God didn't answer me. Yes, he did. He said no. He said no, and you're hard of hearing, right? Yeah, you're being persistent, but God's being persistent too. You prayed and prayed and prayed, and God said, that's not my will. No. So how is it that God answers prayers? Sometimes God answers prayers with no. Sometimes God answers prayers not now. And sometimes God answers prayers now. So God answers no, not now, and now. In other words, sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says later. And sometimes God just says absolutely no. And we love God and we trust God enough to accept His answer because His answer always aligns with His perfect will. Several things happen when we pray. The most important thing that happens when we pray is realizing that prayer is a tool that God uses. Prayer is a tool that God uses in your life and God uses in my life. It's primarily a tool that God uses to change you and that God uses to change me. It's not like God is being resistant. And so you yell at Him and He decides to change His mind. That's not how prayer works. Prayer is communicating with God so that we discover what His will is. Now, prayer is communication. The first two letters of communication is what? C-O, co. What does co mean? At least two, right? Together. It's a, prayer is a conversation. It's a two-way conversation. God gives you all the time you want to speak when you're praying, but are you giving God all the time He wants to speak when you're praying? And I've said this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I promise you, God has far more important things to say to you than you have to say to Him. But at the same time, God never steals our time. God invites us to pray. God invites us to pray all we want. God invites us to say all we want. But once we've said our say, let's let God have His say. Prayer is not primarily for me to change God's mind about something. Prayer is primarily me communicating with God and me listening to God so God can change my mind because when my mind and God's mind are together, guess what? 
That's awesome. That's wonderful. That's success. That's comfort. That's peace. That's joy. Prayer is primarily the tool that God uses to change us. For example, you ready? Are you ready? Why do you think Jesus commands us to pray for our enemies? God asked us to pray for our enemies so our hearts don't become bitter toward them. Now, if if you came from the same pile of dirt I did, I'm not real fond of my enemies. Are you? And if we're being very honest and very transparent, Praying for enemies is probably some of the most difficult praying we've ever done. Amen or oh me? It's hard to pray for those you don't like. It's hard to pray for those who are against you. It's hard to pray for those who have offended you. It's hard to pray for your enemies. But Jesus commands us to pray for our enemies, not necessarily to change our enemies, but to change our heart toward our enemies so we stop seeing them as enemies and we start seeing them as potential children of Almighty God. God is going to soften our heart toward our enemies so that we begin to show them empathy and sympathy and concern. And we began praying for their salvation because if Jesus will save them, if they will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will no longer be enemies. We will be brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's how God views humanity. And that's how we should view humanity. Praying for our enemies doesn't necessarily change them, but it will certainly change our attitude toward them over time. Now, as I'm saying this portion of the message today, I'm looking at faces and I'm looking at countenances. And that didn't go over real well. Because you know it's the truth, but you don't like it one bit, right? Now everybody's smiling because you're like, you got me, preacher. You got me. Yeah, because you're like me and I'm like you. It's, It's how we are by nature. But by nature, we are fallen human beings but by our our new nature. Now, the the title of the sermon is what? Who do you think you are? Well, we are saints. Can I get an amen? Is that not what we learned in chapter 1? We are saints. And when we know who we are and whose we are, it changes how we think, it changes how we believe, and it changes how we pray. And when we pray as we ought to, it changes how we love, and it changes who we love. And when we love like Jesus, we become world changers, don't we? We become world changers when we love like Jesus. Nobody said it was easy. That's why Paul is on his knees surrendering. He's saying, God, I've got a lot of enemies. God, there's a lot of people I don't like. God, they've tried to kill me multiple times. They're on my trail right now. But God, I pray for them that they'll come to know you as I have come to know you. I would rather have them as my brothers and sisters than to have them as my enemies. 
The second thing I want you to notice today is this. When we pray, God does act. When we pray, God does act. Now, I want you to bring out the primary purpose of prayer. Prayer is communicating with God. Prayer is having a conversation with God. And as God's kids, we need to realize that that conversation is primarily to change us, not us changing God. I mean, by the way, He is the Creator, right? And we are the created ones. And His ways are far above our ways, right? And He's got all, He's got the full perspective, and we're very narrow-minded, aren't we? So we can trust God and pray God's will be done and then accept God's will and then move on. But God also at times when we pray will act in such a way that we didn't expect or sometimes, wonderful times, we actually pray and He does act the way we pray that He acts. But we must know that every time we pray, He hears us, He responds, and get this, He always responds according to His perfect will. His perfect will. Now, on the subject of praying, Christians, we need to be praying instead of, say instead of. We need to be praying instead of grumbling. Say grumbling. Yeah. Prayer keeps us from grumbling. Prayer keeps us from complaining. So if you want to know who the prayer warriors are, just saying, if you want to know who the prayer warriors are, they're the ones that you rarely ever hear grumbling and complaining. You want to know who needs to spend more time in prayer? The grumblers. The complainers. I'm not pointing anyone out. Although I could, I'm not pointing anyone out. I'm just saying, we need to be praying and not grumbling. Grumbling is what you do when you're not happy. And the primary reason you're not happy in life is because you're not getting your way. And when you don't get your way, you grumble and complain, hoping that you'll get your way. God's plan is, stop the grumbling. Stop the complaining. Get on your knees and pray for God's will to be done. And if God says no, okay, God, it's no. If God says later, okay, God, it's later. If God says yes, get up and do a happy dance. You got your way, right? No, you got his way. And you're happy with his way. We don't complain about his way. Grumbling is what you do when you're happy. When you're not happy. Grumbling is what you do when you're not happy. And people that aren't happy love to have conversations. And you know who they love to have conversations with? Anyone that will listen. Getting quiet in here. Getting quiet. Anybody in here ever been guilty of that? Paul, say Paul, Paul has reason to grumble. 
Paul has reason to complain. Can I show you? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they serving Christ? I'm serving Him more. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I'm going to anyway. He said, I've worked much harder, and he has. I've been in prison more often, and he is. I've suffered terrible beatings, and he did. Again and again, I've almost died. Five times the Jews gave me 39 strokes with a whip. Paul, Paul has reason to complain. Anybody keeping score yet? You and Paul? You done lost, didn't you? And we're just halfway through the scripture. 39 strokes, a whip, a grown man whipping him. 39 strokes of a whip. Three times I was beaten with sticks. Once they tried to kill me by throwing stones at me. Paul was stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I've had to keep on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from robbers. I've been in danger from people from my own country. I've been in danger from those who aren't Jews. I've been in danger in the city, in the country, and at sea. I've been in danger from people who pretend they were believers. Can I get a witness? I've worked very hard. Often I've gone without sleep. I've been hungry and thirsty. Often I've gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That'll make you grumpy. Not the food part, the naked part. Besides everything else, are you kidding me? Besides everything else, every day I'm concerned about the church. Wow, where's his heart? Beaten, robbed, left for dead, shipwrecked, on and on and on. And here at the end of this scripture, his heart really shines through. Above everything else, I'm really concerned about the churches. It's a heavy load to bear, he's saying. So if anyone has reason to complain and grumble, I think Paul has reason to complain and grumble. Can I get an amen? But he doesn't complain. And he doesn't grumble. Instead, he does what? He bows on his knees. And not only does he pray, he praises God for everything he's faced. And he praises God for everything he's been through. And he praises God for where he's at because he knows where he's going. Wow. When we go through difficult circumstances, we have two choices, church. We can grumble or we can pray. Hmm? Remember the old bluegrass song, I prayed my way out of trouble? That works a lot better than grumbling. 
See, have you ever noticed if you walk towards some people, they disappear? That's because you're known as a grumbler. If you was known as a prayer warrior, you'd start towards someone, they'd be like, come here, I want to talk to you. I know you know how to pray. I know you know how to get a prayer through. And let me share with you what's taking place. Grumbling, grumbling is when we complain. It's when our attitude is sour. It's when our disposition is dour. But you know what prayer is? Prayer is saying the same things that we say when we complain, but it's who we're saying it to. God welcomes your complaints in prayer. Somebody nod yes. God, God welcomes our complaints. God welcomes our grumblings. God wants to have those conversations with us because He's our Father and we're His children. He already knows what we're going through. He already knows where we are. He already knows what's in our minds and on our hearts. And He says, I welcome those conversations. Leave them alone and let me and you talk about this and work it out. God doesn't want you to pretend that's everything, that, that everything's okay. God don't want you to live a phony life. He, he doesn't want you to pretend that everything's fine. He doesn't want you to pretend that you're not struggling. He doesn't want you to pretend you're not hurting. He wants you to talk to Him about it in prayer. He wants you to be honest. And He wants you to be honest with Him. He wants you to be honest with Him. Because guess what? He can handle it. Can't He? He can handle it. So it's best to work it out with Him. And then when you've worked it out with Him, the conversation you have with others is different because now your mess is a message. Now you've worked it out with God and God's explained some things and you're like, I never thought of it like that. God says, I know. That's why I wanted you to talk to me about it because now I've explained it to you and now you still may not like it but you understand it and now you're okay with it. Now you can share this with other people and say, let me share with you what God just shared with me. And now you're encouraging people. You're not beating them down with your complaining and your grumbling. That's what's happening here. Paul is under house arrest. Why? Because he won't quit talking about Jesus. He will not quit telling everybody he comes into contact with, you're a sinner, you need a Savior, God loves you, Jesus died for you, resurrected on the third day, believe in trusting you have eternal life like me, you're under arrest. Paul is under house arrest. And he's talking through his circumstances with his loving Heavenly Father. And because God has listened and God has answered his prayer and God has gotten Paul in a good place. Now Paul is writing a letter sharing with the church at Ephesus as well as the whole world. Now, look what God will do for you when you just take time to pray and trust him. He's allowing others to see through the window of his heart. He's prayed it through with the Lord. So my question is, who do you have on speed dial? I chuckled. 
I mean, something didn't go right today, and you're like, guess what? Am I right or am I right? Who do you call first? Who do you talk first? What Paul is teaching us today is, let it be the Lord. Let it be the Lord. And then those other conversations will be, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. As if it couldn't get any worse. Write that down. Praying is not complaining. Sorry, not sorry. Praying is not gossiping. Prayer keeps us from grumbling, but prayer also keeps us from... Everybody do this just to make it a little fun. You know, it'll sting less if we have a little fun. Gossip is when you talk behind someone's back versus talking to their face. If you can't have a conversation with someone to their face, especially a brother or sister in Christ, then just don't have that conversation. One amen out of the whole bunch. Who said it? Marvin, you get the prize, brother. You get a star on your chart when we get done here today. People who gossip are cowards. People who gossip are cowards. Instead of gossiping, Paul is allowing God to be his lightning rod through prayer. Paul's got something to say, and Paul's got something negative to say, but Paul's going to say it to God. You know what a lightning rod is, don't you? Storm blows up, lightning strikes, lightning will hit the lightning rod, the lightning rod is grounded to the ground, lightning rods keep things grounded, and they keep things from blowing up. Some of you professional gossipers, who, you talking to me? You ever seen anything blow up because you gossip? Well, see, if we share that same information with Jesus, Jesus never blows up. And as we have that conversation with Jesus, Jesus diffuses the conversation. This goes back to praying for your enemies. Well, I don't want to pray and get that kind of relief, and then I won't be tore up and mad all the time. Because I just kind of got used to being mad and upset all the time. I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I was at peace and had joy in my heart and I was a good Christian. Life would be boring, wouldn't it? No! No, it wouldn't be boring. It would be glorious. Can I get an amen? It would be glorious. The Lord, let the Lord be your lightning rod. Pray, don't gossip. Have that conversation with Jesus. Let Jesus change your heart. 
Let Jesus change your heart. Let Jesus change my heart. Don't blow up on your friends. You keep blowing up on your friends, they ain't going to be your friends. Don't don't be blowing up at the self-checkout manager at Walmart. It's not her fault. She's just an employee, okay? I know you're unhappy with that, but tell Jesus. Don't tell her. She's just there to get a wage, okay? Don't blow up on your kids. Don't blow up on your spouse. Let the Lord ground you out through prayer. First of all, somebody say, praise God, he's moving on. First of all, prayer is personal. Paul says, I bow on my knees. He says, I'm praying. I'm surrendered to God. I'm talking it all through, and I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying for you, Christians. Number two, remember we're doing the acronym P-R-R. Praying is relational. Praying is relational. We add verse 15 to verse 14, and the conversation makes a little more sense. Paul says, for this reason, I bow on my knees before the Father, from whom, get this, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You and I are created in the likeness and the image of Almighty God. And only the human race is created in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. Nothing else in existence is created in the image and the likeness of God. Two things we see here. The first one is, the church is a family. The church is a family. The church is not an institution. The church is not an organization. The church is a family. I just I cannot stress how badly we need to know this and how badly we need to understand this. We are a family. I'm going to say this a lot. The church is a family. But what happens sometimes especially in Western culture, such as the United States of America, the church is viewed as a seller of religious goods and services. And sadly, sadly, some people see and treat the church like a business. And since they see the church as a provider of spiritual goods and services, they now see the church as a business, So they become the customers. They become the consumers. They become the critics. And they become the complainers. And here's what we've taught here at Hope in Christ from day one. We're a family. We're not a business. We've taught that from day one. We are not a business. We are a family. We should pray for our family, God's people, our family. We should pray for our family's strength. We should pray for our family's health. We should pray for our family's growth. We should pray for our family's well-being. When when you pray for the church, when, when you spend time praying for the church instead of complaining about the church and griping about the church and gossiping about the church, when you pray for your church family, you know what happens? You see it as a family and not as a business. 
But if you don't pray for the church, you'll see the church as a business. And what happens is, in a consumer-driven relationship, you're always trying to get the most out of it by giving the least. What's the least, what's the least investment I can give to get the most out of this? That's, that's a business. But when you flip that and you realize that the church is a family, you're all in. You, you give everything and somebody says, well, what do you expect to get out of it? And you're like, that doesn't even make sense. You know, I'll admit there's been times I've done things for Michelle hoping to get things. That ain't right, is it, honey? It's not right. It's not family. You've never done that, have you? No. But that's the difference between a family and a business, isn't it? With family, you give, 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 give. And somebody mentions, what did you get out of that? And you're like, family. I got family out of that. And I'm pleased with that. They're my family. Maybe that's the way we ought to think about God's family. That we give and we give and we give and we expect nothing And when you expect nothing, guess what you get? Everything. The theme of Scripture can be summed up in this. For God so loved, say loved, for God so loved the world that He he gave. God's a giver. God's a giver. We should be givers. And I'm 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 not talking about money here. I'm talking about, Paul says, I'm on my knees before the Father. I'm surrendered. Paul's saying, I'm giving me. I'm giving all of me. And because I've given all of me, they've beat me, they've stoned me, I've shipwrecked, I've spent night and day at the sea. I mean, when we get to the end of this thing, here's what we're going to see that happens to Paul. He's beheaded. See, when you give all, it usually doesn't end well but you give all to receive all. Can I get an amen? So we see that the church is a family and it's not a business. And what's even more beautiful is this. And guys, right here is where I want to spend basically the remainder of our time together. We're a family and God's our father. Now, now, here's what I know, and I just want to front this with, with this statement here. Please, please, don't project your Father onto your Heavenly Father. Because not everybody is blessed to have a wonderful Christian earthly Father. I, I, I am, I was. I had a picture perfect daddy here on planet earth and, and he's he's tucked away safely at home now so i i, I don't struggle here when, when i think of god as a father now now I, god i mean no disrespect for this and you all either but if god's anything like jennings looper i can't wait to get to heaven but here's the thing because i've read the book and studied the scripture as high as a pedestal as i put jennings looper on he doesn't compare 
to my Heavenly Father. But see, some people aren't, aren't blessed to have that attitude and that experience. Some, some people have not even known their father on planet Earth. Some people have had horrible, terrible fathers on planet Earth, and some have had mediocre fathers on planet Earth. So here's what I'm asking. When I'm teaching that God is a father, don't don't project any negativity on God. Let God be God, and let's take the word of God's word for who he is, and let's learn that we're his children, and he's our father. And when we get that, and we know how wonderful and marvelous he is, we'll run to him in I mean, people have to tear you loose. Come on, we got to go do life. Quit talking to God. When you see God for who He is, that'll be your prayer life. We're a family and we're held together by God. A good father will keep his family together at all costs, won't he? We, the family of God, the church, we're held together by our Father. We're, we're not held together by the prominent. We're not held together by the powerful. We're not held together by the popular. We're not held together by man. We're held together by God our Father. Paul mentions here the Father, the Holy Spirit, and he mentions the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in these next section of verses. So the whole Trinity is mentioned here in prayer. We need to know this as we pray. The Trinity is one God in three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We taught this in our series that we preached through for 14 months about what do we believe. This is the biblical teaching of the nature of God. What what we see here is that God has love and affection, God has conversation, God has communion, and God has union In and of Himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when we see them together, we see that they have love for one another, they have affection one for another, they have conversation with one another, they commune together, they are in perfect union with one another. And because God is a God who speaks, and not only a God who speaks, but because He's a God who listens, God invites us as being the Father, God invites us to experience that same love that same affection, that same communion, that same union that Jesus has with the Father. After all, throughout the book of Ephesians, we continually see in Him and in Christ, don't we? We are in Christ Jesus as believers, aren't we, church? And as much as God loves Jesus, He loves you. And as much as Jesus loved to pray for the Father, we should love to pray and talk to the Father. And when we pray, here's how we pray. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The object of our prayer is to the Father, Jesus Christ being the mediator, the Holy Spirit carrying the prayer to heaven. Let me explain this. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity that lives inside you and me. We say Jesus in our heart. We, we say God lives in us. It, it's technically, accurately, the Holy Spirit. God the Father seated on His throne in heaven. Jesus Christ seated at His right hand. The Holy Spirit descending and ascending from the throne room of God, living, taking up residency in our hearts. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. He brings new life. 
He, he produces love for the Father, love for the Savior. He brings about the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, He's the one that took on flesh. He left His throne in heaven. He came to earth. He lived without sin. He died in place of our sins. He rose as our Lord and Savior. He has ascended back to heaven. The Bible says that He is our mediator. He is our representative to the Father. He takes away our sin. He reconciles our relationship with God. So God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is, God is, God is in us through that Holy Spirit. God is mediating through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is connecting himself with us as our Father. Our wonderful, perfect, loving, caring, giving, heavenly Father. So when we pray, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to the Father. So he talks about the family of God. And he talks about God being our Father. And the most important thing I'll ever tell you or teach you about prayer is this. As a Christian, God is your Father. And He's a good, good Father. And He loves talking to you all the time. You never burden Him. You never worry Him. He invites you to pray 24-7. That's why in Thessalonians He says, pray without ceasing. Go in an attitude of prayer all the time because it's always you and Him. No matter where you are, no matter where you're going, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, you and the Father are together through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's with you 24-7. He loves talking to you. And He loves for you to talk to Him. As Christians, know that God is our Father and we're His sons and we're His daughters. And because He's the Father and because we're His children, A, God invites us to ask. God invites us to ask. Prayer is personal. Prayer is relational. And, and because it's personal, and because it's relational, because I am a person, because I am a redeemed person, because God loved me, I have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because I have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then God says, ask me whatever you want to ask me. And I will answer you. And I'll give you whatever is best for you. When I decide it's best for you, and how much I decide is best for you, love me and trust me. Prayer is asking. So Paul's going to make a request. Remember when we were teaching through the joy series in the book of Philippians, the Bible says, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Did he not say that? Make your request known to God. Ask God. So in verses 16 and 17, that according, mm, are you ready? This is good. Mm, this is good. Wow. God is our Father. And we're not going to be His family. We are His family. Right here, right now. And Jesus didn't go back to heaven and abandon us. 
He told his disciples, I've got to go there. He said, it's expedient that I go away. It's, it's perfectly necessary that I go away. Because if I go away, when I get home, see what Jesus did, he, he kind of reduced himself down to a man when he came to earth, didn't he? But he was still the Son of God. But as a human being, he could only be in one place doing one thing at one time. Am I right or am I right? But he said, I'm going to go back to the Father. And when I get back to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down so I can be with every one of you all the time. Wow. Paul knows this. And that's why Paul, after everything he's gone through and everything he knows he's going to go through, I said, I bow my knee before the Father confidently knowing that according to the riches of just pause and think on that, folks. The riches of heaven. It's not streets of gold. It's not gates of pearl. It's not walls of jasper. It's Jesus. And it's the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit according to the riches that are in glory. Here's what the Father is going to do for His kids. He is going to grant us strength. Strength. I don't care what the White House says. I don't care what the Senate says. I don't care what the House of Representatives says. I don't care what Fox or CNN says. I don't care what nobody says besides my Father in heaven. Because regardless of what comes my way, regardless of what I see with my eyes, regardless of what I hear with my ears, regardless of what I experience in the flesh, Jesus has already prayed for me. Paul's already prayed for me. And God's answered these prayers according to the riches of glory, according to the riches of God and the riches of Jesus and the riches of the Holy Spirit, that we may be granted to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being. What kind of strength is that? Lazarus, come forth. A dead man, four days dead and stinking dead. And Jesus says, come forth. And the stink leaves and the death leaves and a healthy man walks out of the tomb and God says, get those grave clothes off of that man. He is alive and well. Forty-five years ago, God found a dead ten-year-old boy at Columbia Hill Baptist Church. Dead in my trespasses and sins. And Jesus said, Steve, come forth. And from that time till now, until I get home, and even gooder when I get there, I have been strengthened with God's power through the Holy Spirit in my inner being. It's okay. I have no reason to grumble. I have no reason to complain. I have no reason to gossip. The only thing I need to do is spend my time in prayer and praise. Can I get a witness? 
Why? Because according to God's riches in glory, He's granted me to be strengthened. He's granted you to be strengthened with His power and His might in our inner being. Now the outer being, that's a different story. It's 55 years old. I'm getting older. And it hurts when I get up in the morning. Yeah. Lord Jesus, come. So that Christ, say Christ. I understand. I live life too. I do, folks. I do. I do. I understand. There are hurts. There are wounds. There are difficult days and difficult people and difficult circumstances. But God. But God. Christ dwells in our hearts. Get that. That's just not a church saying that Jesus is in your heart. That's not just a churchy saying. The creator of all things lives in you 24-7, 365 days a year. Through faith that we, being rooted and grounded in love. Here's the thought. God is independent. God needs nothing. God needs no one. God does not need me. God does not need you. But He chose us. Doesn't need us, but He chose us. Now, a good scenario of this is, is I, I, I was talking before the service with Alex, and Alex's family adopted children. They didn't need those children, but they chose to love more children. Do you understand that? God did not need us, but God chose to love us. God chose us to be part of His family. He already had Jesus. When Jesus is the first one, you don't need no second one. Can I get an amen? But look at the millions and millions and billions that God says, I want you. I want you. Be mine. Be mine. Wow. God is looking to give to us because we need Him. He doesn't need us. Now here, Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell in your hearts. What's he saying here? Where do you live? Where do you live? Reduce that down. Where do you live? Home. Who said it? You live at home. You've heard the old saying, home is where the heart is. Jesus lives in our, and that's his. Are you kidding me? You know the difference between a home and a hotel? You know, first of October, we went down to Fort Morgan and, and spent a week on the beach, and we rented a beach house. And, and there were some things there that needed some repair. There was a screened-in porch that faced the beach. And every morning, that's where we drank our coffee and started our day. And, and one of the, part of the screen was ripped. 
And I had just recently repaired some screens at my house, and I told Michelle and Brenda, I said, I'm going to fix that while we're here. And they're like, no, you're not. It needs fixing, and I know how. I'll fix it, and the next folks won't have to worry about this. You ain't fixing that. Why not? It's not your home. We know what we do with our homes, don't we? We buy a home. We move in. Greg, come testify. We move in, and we start working on it. And we work on it. And we work on it. And we work on it. And then they call the funeral home because we died and we go to be with Jesus. Right? That's the vision Paul has given us here. Jesus moved in this home and he's renovating it. And he's walked into one room and he says, boy, this room's a mess. We're going to fix this room first. And then we're going to fix this room And then we're going to fix this room. And that's sanctification. Aren't you glad that your heart is Jesus' home? And he's took up residency? It's not like a hotel or a motel. It's not like a beach house. It's not like he shows up and stays a little while and leaves again. And he shows up and stays a little while and he leaves again. He's made his home in you. Because he's making us a home over yonder. And when that home gets ready, he's going to take this home and unite them together and where he is, we are going to be for all of eternity. Amen. 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 Michelle, y'all come on this morning. What have we learned here this morning, church? We've learned that Paul was a man of prayer. And Paul found prayer to be invaluable. Paul couldn't put a price tag on prayer. And Paul knew that prayer was personal. Paul said, I bow on my knees before the And Paul knew that he was part of the family of God and he knew that God was the Father. So he knew that prayer was relational. He loved talking to the Father. And Paul knew because God was Father and because he had a relationship with the Father, Paul knew that he could ask because God lived in him through the person of Jesus Christ. What do you need to ask God for this morning? What's the worst thing that could happen? He either says no. He either says not now. Or he says now. And whatever he says is the perfect answer. And it's his perfect will for your life. What, what are you carrying? What are you dealing with that you can bring to the Father this morning and just unload your cart? Say, God, I love you. I trust you. Thank you for letting me be part of your family. Father, I surrender. I surrender. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you are our Father.
We're thankful that Jesus is our Savior, and we're thankful that the Holy Spirit is our keeper and our comforter. We're thankful that we're your kids, you're our Father. We're thankful that we can pray personal prayers just between you and me. We're thankful that we're in a relationship because Jesus died for us and was resurrected for us and is now seated seated there at your right hand as our representative praying for us and presenting our causes to you. And we're thankful for the Word and we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that delivers the answers. And God, you invite us to come. And we're thankful for that. In the wonderful, mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you need to come pray this morning, feel led to come and pray.